awesome. Well, you know, called the Rite Fano, for Piki Mai Nei, Kite Te Pone, Tamean Suatahi Kite Kite Atsua Ite Rangi. Ah, Taumai, Taumai Ra, Kite Kaupapa Nei, Kironga Ite Hunga Nei, Naumai Ra, Kohi Kohi Amatau, Kiakwe Ite Ite Pone. E mehi atu nei ano ki to mātou whaia e Cindy te kai waiata o te kōa nei. Ai, kei te mehi ki ākwe. Whakatau mai rā kei raro i te manaakitanga o te rōpū nei. Ai, kei te mehi. Koe atu. Ah, Lyle, te parata. He pauri te nākau, he pauri te nākau, ingari, he harikoa nōku ki te mea anō, ki te mea anō, ki tōa hoki atu, ki tōa papakainga tūturu. Nō reira, mihi atu e parata, mihi atu. Te mea whakamutunga, I ngā mea, kua mauria mai, kua mauria mai tātou i kua nei, i ngā mate, e mau ana tātou i te wā nei, ka haere, haere, wehi atu rā, e moi e oki ki ngā ringa o te atua, nō reira, hunga mate ki te hunga mate, hunga ora ki te hunga ora. Nō reira, nō reira, tēnā mai tātou katoa. Awesome, so, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'm Hamish. Yeah, so, as Rose said earlier, we are continuing our journey around the gifts of the Spirit. And tonight we are talking about the gift of the pastor. Scripture often calls this the gift of the overseer. Yeah, so just a couple of caveats before we uh, roll into it. The first is that, uh, as Tommy mentioned right at the beginning of this series, this series um, these gifts of the Spirit are non-ornament. They're a tool. Um, they're a tool that we use um, for the good of the people, for the good of the church, um, to build the kingdom of God. Um, so this is something we actually use. And, um, and something that Rose has said, a couple of times uh, that she shared in this series, um, that this gift, this um, this pastoral gift, like every other gift of the Spirit, is not done out of our own strength, that it's done through the strength of the Spirit. And particularly with the pastoral gifting, because it, because it often looks really normal, right? Um, it's, kind of, it's really easy for us to do that one out of our own strength in particular um, because of the apparent normalness um, in the way that gift is out work sometimes. Um, yeah, so um, ultimately it's the spirit that empowers us to exercise this pastoral gifting well. Kapai? Cool. So um, we'll just start with um, defining what this gift actually is, and then we'll roll into uh, what that gifting um, may look like. So what is this pastoral gift? Um, so essentially, scripture actually isn't 
super clear on this, but um, through my reading and research, um, I've boiled it down to this. A pastor is someone who cares for the well-being of the people. A pastor is someone who cares for the well-being of the people, particularly the spiritual well-being. Um, Scripture emphasizes that quite a bit. Yeah, so in doing this, a pastor reveals God's heart, the depth of his love and care for us. Um, And obviously, we all have a mandate to care for one another, right? Um, It's not as though there are some specially um, ordained people to um, to care for to care for everyone. Um, like we all have a mandate to care for those in front of us, um, but there are some people for whom um, that sense of calling um, is going to be a little more obvious and come a little more naturally. Um, but even for those of us who don't necessarily um, have this um, this pastoral gift given by God. Um, I think there are some expressions of this pastoral gift, which we'll we'll get into in a minute, um, which we can still um, practice and embody are still good things for us. Um, So that is, in a nutshell, um, the gift of the pastor. So what what does this pastoral gift actually look like? There are a million ways that the pastoral gift um, can outwork itself. Um, so I've just boiled it down to a handful of things. And the first of those things is that when it's done well, pastors are people of peace. They are not rushed or hurried. They pay attention to the world and the people around them. It actually turns out there's a great word or great phrase in Māori for this. Justin, at the beginning of lockdown, he talked about um, being... Uh, a people of peace, that being a specific calling for um, our diocese in the Anglican Church here in Wellington. And I remember him saying that and going, oh, that's just morito. Morito. So morito is essentially your modi, so your essence, um, the very essence of who you are, and to, to be settled. So it's effectively someone whose modi, their very essence, their way about them, is, is settled and calm and chill. Um, so that is the first point, that um, pastors are morito. And the reason this is, um, the reason I've chosen to press on this tonight is because we live in a world which moves incredibly quickly. The pace of the world is very fast at the moment. And something I felt God speak to me on a couple of years ago is that we are an anxious people. We're an anxious people. We're anxious and we're busy and we're restless. Um, And that's not just like in terms of the stuff we do, but that's on a spiritual level as well. There's this deep kind of spiritual restlessness that we have. And so it's really important for those of us um, who um, embody this gift of the pastor, who are caring for people, especially whole communities of people, um, that we are morito, that we are a people of peace. Um, In Matthew 6, uh, 25 to 34, is a classic example of this, um, where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is, Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap. 
or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of them, uh, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then it carries on in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, now, I've spent a lot of time in the last two years um, meditating on Jesus' imperatives throughout the gospel to not worry and to not be anxious and to not be afraid because they're actually imperatives. Like when you look at the way he phrases um, those imperatives, they're, they're imperatives, right? They're actual commands that he gives us to not worry and to not be anxious. Um, and if I am correct in thinking, other than um, his uh, exhortation that the kingdom of God is at hand, um, his, his imperative, his command to not worry or to not be afraid is actually the second most commonly used, um, or like it's the second most common exhortation he uses in scripture. And I think that's very deliberate. I don't think Jesus is glib when he says, don't worry or don't be anxious. Like he, un- he understands the nature of our human condition, you know? And so um, there's something, yeah, there's something about our nature that makes us worry, right? And so when we worry, we become restless. And when we become restless, we stop paying attention And when we stop paying attention, we cannot care well for the people around us. Does that make sense? So actually, that collective restlessness we feel stops us from caring for the people in front of us well. Um, There's this this bro called John Ortberg, um, who I heard this this quote, um, someone else quoted him a few weeks ago, and it's actually just slammed me, eh? He says this, I cannot live the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot live the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. That's pretty confronting, eh? Like when, you, when we go, actually, my busyness, my anxiousness, my restlessness is actually getting in the way of <laughs> me serving Jesus well. Hmm. So, person of peace, that's the first thing. The second thing, and I've noticed this about um, uh, everyone who um, has this pastoral gifting and and exercises it in a healthy way, is that they spend time in the presence of God, like intentionally spend time in the presence of God. We obviously read in the Gospels that Jesus uh, frequently retreats to lonely places to be with the Father. And um, it's out of this practice, I think, um, that that Jesus was reminded again and again of his identity in God. And that was actually the thing that enabled him to minister to the people around him from a place of security. Does that make sense? Um, I remember when I was a youth worker, um, probably like my second year in maybe, I um, had a little bit of a wake-up call around this stuff, um, around retreating um, to the Father. And and so I started, um, amongst many other rhythms of rest, implementing um, four times a year, going away to either Ngātiawa, um, a monastery just up the road, um, or Korpua, which is a Benedictine monastery in the southern Hawke's Bay, and would basically just spend like four long weekends um, every year um, in prayer, silence, solitude, stillness, being with the Father. Um, and 
Like a lot of rhythms of rest we have, um, we don't really notice what impact they have when we're doing them. So when we stop doing them, that we realize how much we actually needed those things. And so those weekends away, um, especially in that season of youth work, which was just so chaotic, um, pretty much every minute was chaos. Um, those moments were moments where I grounded myself again and again and again in my identity in God. And this meant um, this enabled me to return back to my work with a fresh knowing of who I was in Christ, which then meant that I could minister well to the young people in my community because I knew deep down who I was. Um, so I believe that it was, I, like, I seriously believe that it's only because of that practice I cultivated in my early 20s that made my youth work sustainable, um, regularly retreating to quiet places in silence, solitude, and stillness um, to spend time in the presence of the Father. And so, what's the point of all of this? Well, if we don't know who we are in Christ, then we cannot care well for others. If we don't know who we are, then all we do is serve people from a place of dysfunction and from brokenness. And so often that does more harm than good, eh? Um, <laughs> those of us who are naturally more pastoral um, have probably all had a point where we realise that we're um, the people we serve. It's actually more about us than it is about them. And so these, um, these times of frequently retreating to spend time with the Father are actually a really important... Um, they're important moments that keep us in check for that stuff, eh? So, um, pastors are people of peace. Pastors spend time in the presence of God. And they are also people who allow themselves to be interrupted. Um, I remember, um, so maybe like three or four years ago, um, I spent a bunch of time in the Gospels just reading. And just looking at Jesus' ministry, his it was full of interruptions. Like probably most of the stories that were recorded involved some kind of interruption. Just to name a few, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, the woman who bowled into that house um, of Pharisees when Jesus is having a kai with them, smashes perfume that costs a year's worth of wages and cleans his feet. Um, yeah, imagine if someone did that to me now. How bloody weird would that be? <laughs> someone just like rolls in and like just smashes a bottle of perfume. Uh, anyway. Um, then you have the bleeding woman who just like randomly, like in this seething crowd of people in Capernaum, just like touches Je the hem of Jesus' cloak and is healed. The feeding of the 5,000, like disciples and Jesus go away for a like chill weekend retreat and 5,000 people decide to follow them because they're hungry. Like, man, what's up with that, eh? Or even like Zacchaeus, like Jesus is just rolling through Jericho and um, just like randomly spots this this inconspicuous man like just chilling in a tree. And he's like, yo, I'm going to have a kai in your place. Let's go. Um, so you get the picture right. Jesus uses these moments of interruption to minister to the people in front of him. Like he leverages those moments of interruption. Um, I remember a few years ago when I was uh, working um, for a small mental health organization, so working in that, that area of work, um, I had a year where my mental health just absolutely tanked. It was like just a gnarly year. And there was one particular week, which was just, it's probably the worst <coughs> week I've had in mental health-wise since I, 
don't know, maybe <coughs> probably in like 15 years or something. It was, it was real gnarly. And um, I remember I'd basically like, because I was managing myself, cleared my calendar, cleared all my appointments, was basically just like, I'm going to do the bare minimum this week, just chill, um, do what I need to do to take care of myself. And then... <laughs> and then... <laughs> dry mouth. <laughs> and then one of my volunteers um, hits me up and... Um, it turns out that a really good friend of hers who was living in one of the hostels up at Vic Uni had um, taken her own life. And, um, and this volunteer of mine just hit me up and was like, hey, I'm uh, running this, this, um, this memorial service at the uni. Just a memorial, I should say. Um, I'm running this memorial at uni and I was wondering if you could facilitate it for me. And I was just like, oh, Okay, I feel terrible, um, and I have no idea. Yeah, obviously, this is a dialogue in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel awful. I, this is the last thing I want to do. I can barely hold it together. Like, how am I supposed to hold it together for anyone else? Um, but anyway, I just felt God prompt me and go, no, nah, like, this is the right thing to do. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I, again, like, talking the hardest week of mental health in 15 years. This day was like probably the hardest day of the hardest week in the last 15, 16 odd years. Um, was just feeling awful. Prepared some things. I had like a day to prep stuff. I just, like all of this was just one giant interruption to my life. So pre prepared some stuff, rolled to uni um, and ended up just like, I don't really know how to describe it other than it was really awkward and really beautiful, and I had the chance to pray for a bunch of people, and there was something really bizarre in that, um, in that interruption of my life. Um, God did something where I, I suppose he, he helped me to minister to other people's pain through my own pain, and that actually couldn't have happened unless I had been open to um, my life actually being interrupted um, in that moment. So, um, because we're imitators of Christ, I think he expects us to live lives that are full of interruptions because it's so often in those moments that he's actually extending the invitation to us to care for the people in front of us, eh? Hmm. Yeah, so just to recap, so a pastor is a person of peace. They are morito. They're not rushed or hurried. And they pay attention because if we don't pay attention, we can't care well for the people in front of us. Pastors spend time in the presence of God. They frequently retreat to be with the Father because that's the only thing that, or one of the only things that makes our walk with Jesus sustainable and makes our care for people sustainable. And then um, interruption, that we live lives of interruption. And um, I was yarning with Rose about this. Uh, just mulling some ideas over the other week. And she made the good point that um, it's both and. Like, there's both a life of interruption and retreating to be with the Father. So there's holding those things in tension, right? And I think we all know, like, we all gravitate to one more than the other. And so I think we all know, like, most of us will know which one God is calling us to in this time and to lean into a bit more.